You are listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast with me, Trip Kramer. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the How to Talk to Girls podcast. I'm your host, Trip Kramer from tripadvice.com. Oh man, this is a cool episode. This is a cool episode and I'm going to tell you why I'm very excited about it. What you're about to hear is an interview that was private. It was something that was in my members area from a program that is now discontinued. And it was something that you know I gave to people when they when they joined a TripAdvice program. I, I discontinued it not because it's a bad program. It was a great program. The program was called the Fearless Formula, and it was a great program. But it it's just it it's it wasn't at the level that I wanted it to be at. You know, I, maybe I'm a perfectionist, and uh, a lot of people actually went through the program and said it was amazing, but it just wasn't exactly what I wanted it to be. And, and maybe we'll put it back, but for now, it's uh, it's just discontinued. And I do, and I promise, if I ever do a program again called the Fearless Formula, it's going to be even ten times better than what it was, and and really designed to uh, to help you out. So, okay, what's the point? Why am I excited? Well, I, I ended up looking through the program and and just kind of reminiscing a little bit. And then I saw there was one part of the program where I interview my brother. His name is Dr. Brandon Kramer, and he is a therapist in Chicago. He's been doing it for, uh, well, the time of the interview, I just listened to it, he says about four or five years. So now it's been about five, six, seven years that he's been practicing therapy. And uh, he he's a doctor in the field of psychology. So he had to go to school for, I think, five years versus if you go just for your master's, it's like maybe two years. So he did a very, very huge and deep dive into, uh, into therapy. I mean, that's what you know happens when you become a doctor. So he knows a lot. He's very smart. He's very well-spoken. And so I interviewed him on the Fearless Formula program to talk all about social anxiety. And it's really great. And we we dive so deep into it and, and give some really good tips here about becoming more fearless with women and around women and just in general. And I can't hold it any longer. Like I just I need to release it. I need to give it to you. I need you to hear it. And and I want you to hear it. And I want it to be special for this podcast. So you're going to hear this this very long interview and there's a lot of great nuggets on there. So I definitely I suggest you you take notes and you and you write some things down. I just want to be very clear here. This should not replace therapy. I know I I I sounds ridiculous, but I have to say it in terms of um just the fine print, right? Is that this should not anything really that I ever speak about on the trip advice how to talk to girls podcast never should replace therapy. And if you feel like you need to go see a doctor or see an actual therapist, I recommend you do so. In fact, I always tell my coaching clients that therapy is an amazing complement to coaching. So anyone who signs up for coaching, I usually recommend they see a therapist or at least maybe a third of my clients already are going to a therapist and then they come see me. So it's uh, it's really important. I'm very pro-therapy and I think it helps out a lot and to help you uncover a lot of different things in your life. So so anyways, if you are interested in doing coaching and you want to have that as a compliment to your therapy or just start coaching in general, go to coachedbytrip.com and apply today and you and I can work one-on-one. And then I'm sure we'll get on the phone and when you sign up for coaching, I'll tell you, hey, probably a good idea that you also sign up for therapy because it's going to be good for you. So this interview... We go into some some good uh, psychological topics here. I think you're going to find it helpful and entertaining as well. 
So just sit back, relax, enjoy, take some notes. If you hear anything that kind of pops up and, and yeah, here it is. Interview with my brother, Dr. Brandon Kramer. Check it out. All right, welcome to Fearless Formula in our next installment, where we're going to be talking with Dr. Brandon on everything social anxiety. And I'm really excited about this because I know that social anxiety is something that holds a lot of people back from what they want to do. And in this case, we are talking about dating and relationships and social anxiety is obviously a big part of that, right? Being social, meeting someone. And so I wanted to do a whole installment today and I wanted to bring on an expert, someone who deals with uh, patients who have social anxiety, someone who can really speak to it a lot better than I can because they have, um, like I said, they have seen a lot of patients who have it and they have studied it and know it very well and deal with people on on almost a daily basis with this issue. So um, I'll just go ahead and and introduce Dr. Brandon. Uh, we, you might also see that we, we look very alike, minus the beard, because this is my brother. And no, uh, okay, maybe I'm a little biased. I'm having my brother on here, but he's uh, very intelligent and knows how to speak to this stuff very well and has been a psychologist for uh, quite a bit now. So, Dr. Brandon, hello. Hello, Trip. Happy to be here. Good to talk to you. And all one other 150 of you around the world. Really yes. excited. Fun to do something like this. It's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, and how long have you been a psychologist for? Uh, Well, I'd say about uh, four years or so. Yeah, four years. And you've seen how many patients? Yes, I mean, I've been, I've been, I've been practicing. I've been been practicing psychotherapy for probably, yeah, maybe five years. Um, How many patients altogether? I mean, I sometimes see about eighteen people a week. You know, so so do do the math. Hundreds, yeah. hundreds, hundreds of, of, oh yeah, hundreds of people, hundreds of people. Let me ask you this: uh, if you if you had to say, thousands. yeah, if you had to say, um, yeah. do you have a percentage of how many people see you? And mm-hmm. and out of all the people who have seen you, have been a patient of yours, yeah, I've talked about social anxiety. Yeah, extremely common. I mean, it's hard to give a number off the bat like that, but I mean, thirty percent. Okay, I that's mean, very high. I mean, yeah, yeah, twenty-five percent. I mean, you know, people people often come to therapy uh, for you know the, the two main things are for depression and anxiety, right? Um, and anxiety in the form of social social anxiety, social relationships is just very very common. Got it. Got yeah. it. Very cool. And anxiety is something that goes through so many different situations in a person's life, so uh, it just comes up all the time. Uh, we live as we're we're social beings. We're social creatures. That's what we do. So, yeah. Got it. Do you have any examples of all the different ways it shows up in our life? People, like the things people come to you, just like quick things, like quick examples of what people come to you for in terms of social anxiety. Like, uh, well, sure. I mean, well, I mean, people who have social anxiety. Uh, this is you know any any kind of social encounter that is making them anxious, especially with strangers. Uh, you know, being introduced to other people, you know, having to deal with people in authority positions, you know, important people, you know, situations where they're like needing to be in the center of attention or, you know, maybe being watched by, uh, you know, while they're doing something. Um, yeah, I mean, ask me again the question exactly what you mean by... 
<laughs> yeah. No, that's great. That's great. You answered. I mean, yeah. there's a yeah. lot of different um, ways that social anxiety seems to show up in our life. And so I, I think mean, that's... school, work, dealing with people yeah. in all kinds of ways, and especially in the, in the dating realm and friendships. Okay, cool. So, I mean, let's yeah. get into it. Yeah. Maybe you can help us understand what is social anxiety disorder yeah. and how does it relate to dating? Yeah, sure. So first I'll give you, you know, kind of my textbook definition and then I'll you know, break it down for you a little bit. Great. So, so social anxiety disorder is it's the persistent fear of social situations in which one person is exposed to the possible scrutiny by others and fears that he may do something or act in a certain way that's going to be humiliating or embarrassing. So in other words, it's just being really afraid that you're going to say something or do something that's going to make you feel stupid, right? Or afraid that somebody or that anything that you do in a social situation is going to result in, uh, you know, people criticizing or rejecting you. And so the idea of, um, so any, any kind of exposure to that feared situation is going to make a person feel anxious or panicky feelings. So to give you like an examples of that, um, that's just any kind of sense of intense fear. Uh, if your heart is racing, uh, turning red or blushing, sweating excessively, uh, dry throat you know, or mouth, just trembling, um, difficulty swallowing, muscle tension. These are some of the symptoms of anxiety, classic symptoms of, of anxiety that you know, if you're experiencing you know, you know, one to five of these things, uh, you know, that's you know, sort of panicky symptoms. Uh, so, and so a person with social anxiety disorder is going to be avoiding either social situations or having to endure them or deal with them and feeling you know, intensely distressed. Um, and if we're talking about it in terms of a disorder, this is when the, either the avoidance of social situations or the distress that comes along with it is something that is interfering with a person's normal functioning. Interfering with their social relationships or their ability to, you know, or to go to work. And I'm saying this difference because anxiety is something that happens to everybody, right? Uh, it's a normal human response to uh, to feared situations, right? Those physiological symptoms that happens, right? Um, but the question is, it becomes a disorder when it's interfering in your daily functioning in a serious way. So, um, so, but, but, you know, so even though some people feel you know, sort of normal anxiety about things at times, um, there's still a lot of people who are at the level of social anxiety disorder. Um, it affects millions of people around the world. Uh, about 7% of the population um, could be diagnosed with social anxiety disorder. And it's the third largest psychological disorder next to um, depression and alcoholism. Wow. Okay. So, that's, yeah. that's intense. So one thing I just want to note to anyone who's watching right now is you know, we're talking about this on, um, you know, as a disorder itself. So I just want to let anyone know if they don't feel they have social anxiety disorder. I mean, I, this is where, um, Dr. Brandon, you can, you can help a little bit. If right, you're right. Like, I feel like there's some yeah. people who are like, well, I don't have social anxiety disorder. It doesn't affect me on a daily basis. I sure. can still talk to Coworkers, I can still go to a group of friends, but I might be still scared to talk to a woman. Or right, right. I have no problem talking to women. That's not a problem for me, but mm -hmm. I'm really scared when I'm talking to authority figures. So it's like, yeah, I want to let people know that we're, we're almost speaking to everyone here. Like if right. you have any sort of anxiety around being social, whether it be mm -hmm. with coworkers, with authority figures, with women, this is still going to pertain to you, but maybe right. 
um, doctor, you can help us understand a bit more between, yeah. you know, how does one know if they have it as like this extreme case where you're saying the seven percent of the population right. and someone who has it on more of a mild uh, right. basis? Yeah. So, so it's, it's really a spectrum. Um, and, you know, really you can't self-diagnose and know for sure that you have social anxiety disorder unless you speak to a professional and they give you, you know, sort of their professional assessment. But the main difference, the main thing that any you know, professional who's giving you an assessment is going to be looking for is to what degree is it really interfering with your life? Um, um, yeah, I mean, you could say, and not everybody who's socially anxious is socially anxious in the same way. Um, and, and, and they're not even always socially anxious every single time in that situation. So yeah, it's normal to have certain things that you're feeling ang- anxiety about but it doesn't, you know. But unless it's causing you some marked level of distress, you know, to where it's really interfering with your life, you know, that's really the difference between, you know, normal and you know, the level of disorder. Okay, got it. Okay, yeah, got it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if someone, I know we're going to talk about this a little bit, um, yeah, later on. But mm-hmm. if someone feels that they are on the spectrum, they're not sure where they're at. You know, can therapy still help them, even if they don't feel like they have the disorder or something where it's an, an intense, um, you know, part of their everyday life? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, diagnoses are important in certain ways, and in certain ways they're not. You know, an official, you know, sort of medical diagnosis can help because it helps you to sort of understand, you know, what something is. It helps to give a label to something sometimes, but. If you're having a sense that you've got some kind of problem with something, you know, whether or not you can even articulate it or not, but there's something that you feel like you could use some help with, that's pretty much a good enough reason to go to therapy, especially if it's in the interpersonal realm, right? Relationships and your relationship with yourself, psychological stuff, you know, you don't have to worry about whether or not you have a diagnosis before going to meet with somebody. And you could also, go to meet with somebody and they tell you, yeah, well, we're not going to diagnose you with this, but we, I also think I could probably help you, you know, if you feel like you need it. Right. I want it. Right. Even if it's a, a mild case. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Can you give some examples of, and I, we, we kind of went into this a little bit earlier. Yeah, we jumped into that before. And I kind well, of, let, yeah. Let's go deeper. Give some examples of, of distressing social situations that most people struggle with. Right. So just any kind of social encounter, uh, especially if it's with strangers, uh, being introduced to other people, having a meeting with somebody who's an authority figure, uh, a, a situation in which you're going to be the center of attention. Um, you know, if you're being watched while you're doing something or if you're, you know, in some kind of a meeting at work, this happens to me at you know, various places where you have to go around a room or a table and you have to say something, right? Um, you know, so that's a distressing social situation. Um, or, you know, where it's, more intense where you're actually being teased or criticized or ridiculed by somebody. Um, and just in general, relationships, interpersonal relationships on any level, whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship, and particularly, you know, as often as the case, uh, relationships with family members. Yeah. Yeah. And also, and I think, um, you know, I imagine a lot of guys who are watching this right now, I think a lot of their social anxiety they have is around dating. So it's around mm-hmm. the idea of, Starting the conversation with a girl they'd never talked to, yeah. or or a group of girls, 
or um, yeah. or a group of people, right? In any exactly. in any case, exactly. Or maybe or maybe uh, anxiety around meeting a girl for the first time if you've met her on a dating app, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or if you're being introduced to her, or online dating. So it's like you're. Yeah, I mean, I mean, first time any, any level. Oh, sorry. Yeah, to interrupt. Yeah, at, at any level of interaction, right? Uh, you know, we could see how social anxiety could could come up for you, right? Whether it's you know approaching a girl to ask her out. Whether it's not whether it's you know actually meeting her face to face after chatting on the app, um, you know, at, at, any, at any kind of level of interaction, you know. And what are people with social anxiety like? Yeah, so so all people are different. All people are unique. So it's hard to you know categorize you know everybody in one way. But there's a couple of features that might stand out for somebody who has social anxiety. Um, these are people who are you know highly self critical. They might uh, have low self-esteem um, and sort of a devaluing self-image, uh, having a proneness to feeling feelings of shame, um, and as we're talking about above, avoiding social situations. Right? If you're somebody who you know avoids social situations regularly, right, and frequently, um, and um, is you know feeling critical of yourself, you know, frequently, um, you know, these are these are some, some things that would be associated with that. So would you say then someone who, you know, we, we, we go to parties, we go yeah. out, uh, we yeah. meet a lot of different people. And sometimes we see that one dude who's like really good with the crowd. He's really good yeah. with the crowd. He knows how to work a room. He's very charismatic. So would mm-hmm. you say that that person who I'm describing has high self-esteem or doesn't feel shameful of who they are? Yeah, and so... Yeah. The opposite of what you're basically talking about here is that necessarily the case? You know, well, it's definitely nothing's necessarily the case. Um, you know, everything is really going to be individualized. But I would say that those things, what you're saying, is correlated. In other words, right? If somebody is um, is confident enough to be talking in a crowd of people and holding themselves in a way that they're, you know, they, they don't appear to be anxious, right? They could engage in those social situations. Um, then yeah, they probably are feeling good enough about themselves to be able to do that, right? Um, you know, I don't know if you could say that that person never feels shame or rarely feels shame. You know, sometimes people actually have you know uh, sort of what they call a counterphobic reactions, where a person can be uh, you know very highly adept socially, but only because they're like really forcing themselves out of it. But actually, deep down, they do feel bad about themselves. You know, so you don't really know until you talk to the person, but. I say those features just to try to get a sense of you know what things might be associated, but sometimes the opposites are associated. Got it. You know? Okay, cool. That's very interesting. I also think that's very interesting that um, that counter effect that you're talking about, you know, or, yeah. or or just or someone trying to make up for it. Yeah, you know, make that's up for their, their low self esteem by by being more uh, social or animated or trying to be the center of attention because they actually feel exactly bad about themselves. Exactly. And that's why, you know, when you get into a conversation like this about social anxiety disorder, which is a categorical thing, it's hard to push individuals into categories because also a lot of it depends on the person's story. And sometimes you could have this like reverse effect and you only really know until you kind of get underneath it and talk to the person or the person, you know, comes to a realization themselves. 
Right. Um, yeah. Real quick here, I just want to say anyone who's watching, we still have about 150 people watching. I know there's a couple of people on Facebook who are probably like, what the heck is going on? Because I don't hear anyone except for Trip. Um, guys, go on YouTube. I have it live here just to kind of announce to you to go on YouTube. Um, I know that you can't hear uh, Dr. Brandon be speaking because um, well, I haven't figured that out quite yet for Facebook. Can you, can you write a text, like a text box into the Facebook to tell people to go to the YouTube? Um, yeah. I can do that actually. In fact, I'm going to do that right now. And also, for people who are live right now on YouTube, just know that we will be answering your questions in probably about 20 to 25 minutes here. We still have some more really valuable information to go over on social anxiety and how to, how to help fix it. So just know that if you guys are still with us, we are going to be taking your questions on social anxiety, social anxiety disorder, um, or just social anxiety in general if you feel you have it. When you're uh, when you're going out and trying to date, so we'll be talking about that. In the meantime, I'm going to write here. Um, go to YouTube for full seminar. So I want to. Oh, you go ahead. I want to kind of go back a little bit, maybe kind of summarize just some main little ideas of... Yeah, let's do that. Great idea. So, so the, the, the key sort of feature here that we're talking about, you know, is avoidance of social situations, right? So it's one thing if something is making you nervous, but if you, you know, if it makes you nervous and then you do it or do it most of the time, so we're not talking about, you know, a, a, you know a, having social anxiety disorder. Um, you know, or having a social phobia, right? We're talking about a persistent avoidance of a situation because you're afraid of something that's going to happen, right? And that thing being that you'll be humiliated, you'll be rejected, you know, you're certain of that. And that, you know, colors your, you know, many of your experiences to the extent that you are not functioning well. Okay, good, good. So let's go deeper now then. Why do people have social anxiety and what is the cause of it? Yeah, so there are several causes, several explanations that that we could give. And and of course, as we were talking talking about before, there's always individual differences. And so it could be different depending on the person. But, um, you know, I'll go through a few different, you know, sort of theories and ways of understanding, you know, what what causes social anxiety? Um, uh, Well, so for one thing, you know, we do have to go down to biology. Right, um, and say that it's it's a combination of biological factors. In other words, you know something happening in your brain and body that would be, you know, genetic, right? Something that you're born with, um, and also environmental factors. So, in other words, um, if a person is can be born with a, a propensity to being shy, um, and then have you know, that they call that like a temperament or right? a temperamental shyness. That's just something that the baby is or isn't, right? Um, but experiences, you know, in life, uh, you know, can can form into where a person can know how to sort of deal with that shyness and be okay, or whether it becomes, you know, a serious problem. Uh, so, you know, as I've also kind of mentioned before, there's this one key aspect uh, that is often in the history of people's lives uh, with social anxiety disorder, and that is having uh, shame experiences. Um, and so, you know. And this all goes back to you know young age. Actually, you know social anxiety disorder it, it often starts when people are young. So you could you could see you could see you know how that manifests early on, 
and it could change throughout one's life, but usually it, it may start early on. And so, you know, where is a person going to have an experience where they feel ashamed in their life? Uh, usually from parents, right? The people that are around you the most, parents or caregivers uh, or siblings. I hope I never trip as your sibling. Um, I'm pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, or, you know, or peers, right? Right. Anybody who's, you know, who's criticizing, ridiculing, giving you, you know, humiliating or, or abandoning you um, or embarrassing you, you know, these are experiences that can cause a person to feel shame. And so, th- but those feelings of shame, they don't even have to be real. You just have to think it or feel it yourself. In other words, um, you know, whether or not you are actually embarrassed, I mean, like, or ridiculed, or that you just feel that you were ridiculed. Either way, a person sort of internalizes those experiences of those other people, right? That, in other words, they internalize a sense that this is how people are going to treat me, right? This is what's going to happen when I'm with other people. And then they project that, they assume and project that onto other people that they're with. Right. So, in other words, they may have had experiences with their caregiver, their sibling, their peers, right, who were rejecting of them, right. But then they sort of internalize that and they think, oh, um, that's going to happen with everybody, and so they don't want to feel that way. So you avoid those situations, you avoid those people. Got it. So this can yeah. be coming, and and this. Let me ask you this: this yeah. can stem from anywhere from, you know. Infancy to to what to their whole life? Yes, or yes, yeah. It could start as early as infancy. You know, they've shown from uh, infant studies between you know mothers and babies that just the way that a mother or caregiver interacts with a baby, uh, that together with whatever the baby's temperament might be, can you know affect and change how uh, that person you know interacts with other people in their lives. Go ahead. Um, so let's go a bit deeper. So um, everybody has a desire or wish to be loved, right, and taken care of. That's also that's innate, right? We are as babies, right? We are born totally dependent, totally helpless, right? So we need to be fed. We need to be cared for, right? And as we kind of get a little bit older, that turns into other things, right? Just you know, just be, just being given, you know, proper attention. So, so we have that sort of wish for that. Um, and we, so we want others to you know, show us that attention. Um, uh, but sometimes having just, that, just having that wish, having that wish of wanting uh, you know, to be given attention can make a person feel shameful. Why? You know, usually because of those experiences that they would have with that caregiver. In other words, if, you know, you're ask, you know, if you're a three-year-old and you're asking your mother for food or this or that, and then the mother is, you know, just not paying attention, not caring, right? Just thinking that you're a pain, right? You're going to feel like it's your fault because you're three and you don't know any better. Um, and so then, are you saying, so yeah. you're saying, I'm going to yeah. interrupt, a yeah, moment like that could cause someone to have social anxiety. Awesome or be, question. Or, not or add into the idea of social anxiety disorder. Okay, great question. Not one moment and, and not anybody. It's the temperament, right? What it is that you're born with, and also repeated experiences, right? Repeated over and over. Um, this is not going to be, you know, what I'm trying to say here is not to, you know, also even blame all parents for everything that, it, you know, is wrong with you. It sets certain things into motion, right? 
But because I was about to help blame all the parents all over the world for yeah. all the guys who have trouble approaching women that they want to talk to. But I can't do that. Well, you can, you can, you can, you can blame them for starting for you can for starting something in motion in a way. I mean, okay. There's blaming and then there's explaining. You know what I mean? Uh, we're not trying to paint parents as as bad. Parents are human and oftentimes trying their best, right? They're they're only people who are, you know, working with what has been given them, right? But we could explain that if certain parents do certain things, that could set stuff into motion. But that also doesn't take away your responsibility, especially as an adult, to yourself to make some kind of change, right? If all we do is just say, well, mom never cared about me, and that's why I can't go out and meet girls. Well, then you're going to be stuck there and you're going to be miserable forever. But how, how does that help you? <laughs> right. It, it right. doesn't. Right. I mean, once, you, I mean, it, it, exactly. It doesn't. I mean, it's great if we're given the tools to be able to succeed and be confident and, and healthy and, and um, you know, have good interactions with others. Um, but if not, then it's going to be on us. Right. You know? And, uh, and I, I like that note too, because, you know, for everyone who's still here with us, we are going to be going over some ways that you will be able to uh, to start to fix this and start to conquer this. And this is not just a you know uh, a big presentation on what social anxiety is, but yeah. I also want to add in, and maybe you can help out yeah. here, uh, Doctor Brennan. That yeah. there's a you know I don't want to sit here and just be like, well, you are nervous around women. Here's what to do. There there is something that helps us when we understand the why. And understand, you know, what something is. And I feel like just knowing everything you've already talked about and where it could come from can really help in itself. And maybe you can explain that a little bit better. Why the why is so important here? Like why sure. understanding social anxiety is important and being able to mm -hmm. uh, overcome it. Mm -hmm. Great question. That was yeah, something that I was definitely hoping to get into today. I mean, there's two levels of addressing, you know, sort of psychological problems. At least the way that I might break it up. There's, there's dealing with the why and then there's dealing with the what, right? If you're dealing with the what, both of those things, right? Here's what I mean. If we're just dealing with uh, the what, then we're talking about, well, what's, what's, the, what's the actual problem, right? And, 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 right, and what's, in other words, um, I can't approach girls, right? I want to approach girls, but I can't. Okay, well, so that's the problem. And so we're going to try to do things, right? I'll just do this better, right? That's going to be addressing it, you know, but that might not always be so easy to do. In other words, you could try to change a behavior, but if you try to change that behavior without an understanding of what's going on, then it's not really, it's probably not going to last. Right? Why? Why? Because we're creatures of meaning. That's who, that's who we are, right? Um, you know, we're not exactly just sort of robotic. Um, you know, you could sort of you could sort of parrot things and try to try to do something new. Um, and if you can actually do that and make a change, then that actually might be fine for you, right? But oftentimes, it's hard to be able to do that in the first place to just start doing things different, right? If you could just hear some good advice and do something different. Then you probably wouldn't be worried about it, you know. Yeah, and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be that big of a, that big of a deal. I also think, for me personally, there's something comforting in understanding what is and and why something is. So, 
yeah. you know, learning, oh, okay, maybe my anxiety comes from this. It just makes right. me feel better knowing I'm not mm. a freak. You know, I, I'm not some weirdo yeah. who has this. There's a reason for it. Um, yep. You know, I think there's something comforting in, okay, we know where it comes from. And mm-hmm. now that I know where it comes from, it makes me feel even more confident or or even motivated to to be able to solve it. And it's not like something is there for no reason. So I don't know. For me, there's yep. a comforting factor there. So I'm absolutely there's some of you out there who probably agree with that. You know, again, different for everybody. Um, no, but yeah. no, absolutely. Under I mean, there is there is something to understanding yourself, right? To wanting to understand yourself, to be able to explain things. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool. So, so let's go. Let's uh, continue here. Were there still some other things that you well, want to talk about in terms of I, why people have it or the cause of it? Well, I guess there was one. You know, and we, we kind of touched on this, but there was one kind of sort of example I was going to give, um, and this is you know, a little bit of another sort of spin on it. Um, sometimes a person has, uh, you know, their anxiety, their social anxiety stems from what we call a separation anxiety, and that's something that starts also very young. So, so what is that? That's the fear that connecting with others is going to result though know, losing the parent or caregiver's love in other words repeat um, that repeat that again just yeah. i might have cut out that was really i think that's a really really key sure. point sure right so so sometimes right in some instances with an explanation for somebody who has social anxiety it might be because they're afraid that meeting and connecting with others, starting relationships with others, or doing anything that's autonomous or for themselves might result in losing their relationship with their parent. right? Um, let me give you an example of what I, of what I mean by that. So they, they've shown, research has shown that in, in socially anxious children, they often have mothers who, when they interact with a child who wants to like play and explore, that you know they'll have this sort of reaction that's like, oh well, if you're gonna go away from me, then uh, you know I don't want to have anything to do with you either, right? So a child internalizes this sense of if I go and do something for me, right, outside of outside of my relationship with my parent, right, and separate from them, be autonomous, be your own person, which is you know oftentimes right, going out and meeting other people, right? Um, that they can internalize the sense that if I do that then I'll lose that love of the parent, right? And you need your parent, right? But this is all unconscious stuff. Nobody's like thinking about this out loud in their head, right? This is all just sort of deep down underneath. Um, so so what will happen then is they'll, right, getting back to the avoidance issue is that, well, they're going to then avoid meeting other people to sort of preserve that relationship with the parent. The irony of that though is that that relationship with the parent, if a parent is acting like that with you and, and not, you know, uh, wanting you to do something that's normal in development, which is separate yourself from them, right? And be your own person. Then you're not going to have a good relationship with that parent either. And then you're also not going to meet new people and you're going to be stuck in your life. Okay. That was, all, that was very interesting. Maybe you can help summarize that a little bit. For Break that down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that was a little bit... Um, yeah. Uh, could, could be complicated to some people. So maybe, maybe a quick summary of that would be great. Sure. Um, some people are afraid to meet new people and do things for themselves because they have this unconscious fear. In other words, without really knowing it, that that's going to result in some other bigger loss, some bigger loss of a relationship with the person who takes care of them, their caregiver. And they don't want to lose that. 
right? So they don't explore. They don't go out and meet new people because they want to not be rejected by their parent. And so I want to add here, because I know we've talked about this um, you know, before, and I want, I want to make sure people understand, and just correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, yeah. is that this is happening much later in life. You're, you're like, like you said a second ago, it's not conscious. You're not thinking, oh, I don't want to approach that girl because I'm afraid of my rejection from my parents. No, no but that's where that, that psychological thought comes from. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It's, it's, you're, no one's thinking that in their head like, oh, I can't go over to meet this girl right now because my mom's going to be mad at me. No, <laughs> it's, it's that, right? It's, 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 it's that they're generally inhibited, right? They're inhibited from doing new things, inhibited from doing things for themselves, which are normal, right? That's normal. The normal part of adult development, right, is doing things for yourself, right? We can see that some people are inhibited from doing those things. The explanation backwards from that is that sometimes it's because you were subtly made to feel like if you do that, you're not going to get mom's love. Got it. Damn. That's, I mean, that's mind-blowingly deep. Yeah. Now we, and, and, and we would only know that from exploring those experiences, right, in childhood, in therapy, right, or doing some you know, deep internal work on your own. But, okay, cool. Which, yeah. which kind of brings me to my next question here. Yep, yep. Um, I know we're going to be going over some cool stuff for guys to learn today that they can do on their own, but what is the treatment for something like this? Whether it's a mild yeah. case of, of social anxiety or you know, an actual disorder. And by the way, mm-hmm. I kind of want to add in here too is that I'd like to equate this with shyness. You know, I think oh, if absolutely. any person is shy, yes. that's like another word for what this might be, right? Because I mean, if I were to meet a guy who's shy and he says, I'm shy. And I say, Mm -hmm. okay, you're shy. Go talk to that group of people over there. There's probably going to be some anxiety that's going to be stirred up Mm -hmm. and that's causing Mm -hmm. them to be shy. Yep, exactly. And the only difference that I would say is that what we're talking about here, you know, know, in terms of like what a psychologist does is that some people are shy, but some people are so shy that it's a huge problem in their life, right? Some people are shy, but they kind of learn to manage it, right? That's what we were talking about, temperament earlier, right? Two babies are born shy, okay? So maybe they're about the same, but they have different parents or experiences in their life. If they have, you know, if there's a template, if they have enough, good enough experiences with the parent who gives the right kind of nurturing, um, you know, gives the right kind of attention, then they'll be equipped to sort of manage that shyness in the world, right? If there's not enough of that, if there's not enough of the, of the right kind of things, of, of nurturing, then that shyness will become a big problem, right? It'll, be, it'll, so, become, more, it'll become more overblown. Right, right. So men out there who will be parents, nurture your children the right way so they don't have to watch videos like this and and overcome social anxiety. Um, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm kind of kidding, but also, yeah, yeah. What, so what's well, yeah. the um, so you so so what is the, the treatment for it? So um, so psychotherapy, what we call psychotherapy therapy, what I do, um, uh, you know, there's a variety of, of approaches to that. Um, the one kind of that we've already been talking about today is the idea of trying to get deeper and understand, you know, what is you know underneath. 
um, you know, a person, what, you know, what's causing it, right? Um, and if you're somebody who is interested in this, like the way that Trip is and I am, and sort of excited and curious about what makes you what way, then you can, you know, have a more depth oriented psychotherapy. If you're not and you don't care and you just kind of want to learn some, just be very sort of skills focused, very sort of tools focused, then there's other, there's other treatments, you know, one called uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And that's where they kind of, they, 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 they get more sort of specific. Um, but really both ultimately work together because at the end of the day, what a person ends up needing to get to, the place, this is where we're going to talk about in a little bit, the place that a person ends up needing to get to is they need to no longer avoid that which is making them anxious, right? They need to face the fear, right? The longer that you avoid, the longer that you avoid those things that are making you anxious, the longer that it perpetuates the anxiety, right? Nothing will change. The question is, is what is going to get you there, right? What's gonna, what is going to get you to that place to where you are trying something new and facing that fear? And, and, you know, hopefully, and what really does happen is that once you do that, once you are able to get to that place, you find out that that thing that you were afraid of isn't so scary. It's really not real. And the anxiety, at least for the most part, in most situations, can go away, right? You can overcome it. You can overcome it through exposing yourself, right? Their exposure. The question is, how do we bring somebody to that exposure? And there's different sort of methods. Cool. Are we going to be going over some of that stuff today? Because I want to bring bring us to the next uh, part here, which I'm Mm -hmm. sure a lot of you guys are really curious about is how can people help themselves? And Mm -hmm. what are some tips you have for people who are like, well, I just want to learn today some things I can do and I'm not really ready to go to therapy yet or want to try that. Sure. Maybe I will in the future, but right now, what are some things I can do to help myself? Sure. Absolutely. So... Let me have a look at my, where I was in my notes to organize this a little bit. Um, right. So first I would say, you know, consider, consider therapy, right? Consider it. It is not going to harm you. Um, it could really only help um, or, or not, right? Uh, it's worth it because it's kind of hard to go through this alone and do this all for yourself if you're really, really suffering, right? If you're really, really suffering. Um, uh, but in the meantime, still, I could share with you just some ideas or kind of, you know, ways of going about this on your own, you know, for yourself. So how are we going to then, you know, work to getting yourself to a point where you are facing that feared situation, right? So if you're going to work a little bit on the deeper level with yourself, there's just some questions that I'd tell you to ask yourself. Just, you know, in ways of getting to know yourself. So ask yourself this question. What do you want from others? Right. What, do you want, what do you want from... If we're talking about um, approaching, approaching a girl, what do you want from her? How do you want her to, to treat you or to respond to you? Okay. Also, then ask yourself, what are you expecting? Right? How are you expecting others to respond to you? How are you expecting this girl to respond if you, if you talk to her? And then how do you expect that that response will make you feel, right? So let's break it down again. Let's go backwards a little bit. So what's the wish? What do you want from others? What do you expect from them? And then how do you then expect that will make you feel, right? And then as a result, 
what would you do? What is your then interaction back to other people, right? How, how, do you, how do you deal with people as a result of what you expect from them and what you expect to feel as a result of you know, uh, how they are with you? And try to notice how answering these questions will help you to sort of understand a little bit of a theme in your life, uh, you know, because if you ask yourself these questions, then you can start to see that you operate according to some patterns over and over around, you know, this particular theme. So let me just give you an example of one that would be common for, you know, social phobia. Um, you know, I wish to be uh, given love and attention. Um, I expect that I will be rejected, humiliated, and criticized. And that is going to make me feel shameful, sad, bad about myself, uh, anxious, right? Um, and then what will I then do in response? I'm going to avoid people, right? And look into your life and think about those situations when that's come up, specific examples of when that's come up. Because if you have that sort of a pattern, you can think of lots of them. Write them down. Think about those. Think about what, what you know, what they made you feel in, the, in that moment. Um, and then, but when you do that, work on you know, accepting the fact that just because you have that wish and that feeling, it's actually not bad, right? It's normal, it, right? It, it happened for a reason, right? As we were kind of going back before, some combination of biology, some combination of how you were raised or something that happened in your environment, things that were not in your control, right? Things that happened to human beings. Right, and try to give yourself some acceptance for that for those situations. Right, so that's like a good start. You know, to kind of like empathize with yourself, get to know yourself, and try to understand how you interact. Um, and then it's going to come down to figuring out how to get yourself some new experiences in your life. Right, new experiences that challenge those assumptions. Right, those assumptions that you know that are holding you back. Those assumptions that you'll be rejected. Uh, you know, and that, that you know, and that you're you know, bad, right? Because you need to be able to change that. Go ahead. I was going to interrupt here. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we're going to get into this. And if we are, just stop me and say, Trip, yeah. we're going to get into this. Yeah. I can hear the voices right now saying, yeah. Dr. Brandon, there's a catch-22 here. Because mm-hmm. I would love to get myself new experiences, but I can't get those new experiences because I'm so shy. Because what, what Dr. Brandon is, is basically Absolutely. saying is, you have to have these scary experiences, these fearful experiences that mm-hmm. cause the anxiety mm-hmm. to create the new reference experience in your head that, mm-hmm. wait a minute, that wasn't so bad. But how does one get themselves to do that when they're still stuck here in fear and anxiety and they're like, I can't push myself? So That's, that's an awesome question. And, and my, my first answer to that is that's actually why that's the beauty of therapy. Right? That's the beauty of having a relationship with a therapist because you go into that, that situation probably also anxious anyways, but it's a safe situation there, right? and, and it's a situation in which you sort of agree to have, you know, that they're there to help you with something, right? But that's also a relationship. So what's going to happen is, is as you tell your story, as you interact with them, you're going to have a new experience with that person. And, you know, that situation, which it's, you know, it's pretty safe. They help you to understand yourself a little bit more, not just that, but you also have an experience where they interact with you as somebody who is worthy, right? And so that's a good, and then, and then you know, helping you to sort of slowly try new things outside of that relationship, 
right? So that's 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 what's helpful about therapy is it, it's the best it's the best way to to really really start slow. So, but let's say you don't have that. Well, is there a, rela- a relationship in your life one that you feel like is helpful where you can talk about things, right? Um, you know, with that person. Um, or, you know, if you're ready for it, if you're not, you know, at the level where this is a very, very serious problem, right? At the level of having serious social anxiety. Like, if you, if you, if, you, if this is a serious, serious problem, you do need to talk to somebody. You can't really help yourself out of it. I mean, maybe the internet will have, you know, some ways, but you can't do things alone. But if you're somebody who is, you know, further on the spectrum to where you struggle with some things once in a while, but you know, maybe you're kind of ready to start somewhere. Then you start small. Uh, and but Trip, you've got all kinds of examples of how to do that. Right, right, I, right. I mean, how to right, how to start small. How to right. You you build. You you don't go right to just. Uh, well, there's different theories, right? I know that sometimes you know you might say to you know throw yourself into the fire, right? Right. If you can do that, then that will work. But if you can't do that, then there's also starting really, really small. Yeah, it's different for everyone. Well, well, you know. It's different for everyone. Both can work, right? I mean, if you can't throw yourself into the fire, then that's not going to work. If you can, that will work, and it'll work relatively quickly. Right. Or, and I, and I or think something we'll, bad will happen. It'll make you so scared that uh, that you are 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 a little bit more traumatized, and then it's harder. But and then start going to therapy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then you realize, okay, well, then we are going to have to start small and build up. Right. Yeah, right. and um, and I think if you know if you caught last week, I talked about Trip's thirty day challenge, yeah. which is supposed to help with this. It's uh, you know the idea that I talked about last week was systematic desensitization, exactly. which, which I think you know about. We've talked about before is desensitizing yourself in a systematic way. And I've given examples of hey, you don't have to throw yourself in the fire and say there is a group of three uh, beautiful women over there. And I, I'm going to go talk to them with all the pressure of, I hope I get one of their numbers. Like that's really intense. Mm-hmm. And you're almost setting yourself up for failure if that's the first type of uh, approach you've ever done. But there's mm-hmm. ways to, to kind of build up to that. And there's ways to desensitize yourself to that, which would be like I've said in, in, in the last video, just going up and asking directions somewhere or going up and, or, or just walking by a stranger and saying hello, and then just keep on walking. Another little exercise, which is even less than that, is give, an, give a stranger eye contact for like three seconds mm-hmm. and see if you can hold it. Mm-hmm. And then keep walking. You know what I mean? So, and, yeah. and you can come up with a million, but you know, if you're watching this right now, there's mm-hmm. a, any little thing you could do that's connecting you to somebody else, even if it's the smallest thing ever, and repeating yeah. that multiple times and kind yeah. of like... As if it's a game, like moving to the level two, level three, level four, and then finally, eventually, you're at the point where, hey, I feel a little bit more comfortable, right. you know, going over and and talking to a woman that I'm interested in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and but it, it is a very interesting catch twenty two with anxiety, and it's it's tough. I mean, it, you know, the thing is, I'm afraid of doing something, and you're going to tell me to just do it. And it's like, well, I'm afraid of it. That's why I'm here, right? So the answer to that is is you is you build from very, from a very small place. Right, and then also the other answer to that is try to understand it a little bit better. Try to you know try to deal with and work with the feelings that come up around that. Right. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So I know you had some more advice in in this area. So what else can people do? Um, so this is just a little bit more. You know, I have a, an example I can give you of just sometimes. You know, you notice that 
you're, uh, if you're facing a situation that you're afraid of, you're going to be very much right in your head. And you're going to be thinking all kinds of reasons why you shouldn't do something or why you're afraid of what's going to go wrong. Um, and none of that stuff is really based in reality, right? Most of the time. So, so, you know, so, you know, the idea is to try to find a way to be more realistic about the situation and your thoughts. So, for example, um, so what if I'm afraid to go to the party? You know, right? Right. Um, I'm, uh, right, I'm, I'm afraid I'll say something stupid. Okay. Then you can ask yourself, well, am I 100% sure that I'll say something stupid at the party? Okay, no, I'm not 100% sure, but, you know, okay, right. Uh, well, how many times have I said something stupid at a party? Oh, a few times, but not every time. Okay, well, what's the evidence that supports that thought? Okay, well, once I made a joke and no one laughed, and another time I made a comment about a movie and it didn't make sense, and another time I asked an obvious question and someone started laughing, right? Okay, so, but what's the evidence that doesn't support that? Well, I have gone to parties in the past, and I didn't say anything stupid. Uh, I've had a few a few good conversations at parties, right? Last time I went to a party, someone said that I said something funny, right? Okay. Uh, and you guys, just this is 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 not saying something stupid so important that my whole future depends on it. Uh, well, it would be embarrassing, but no, my whole future doesn't depend on it. And then, what's the worst that could happen? That I do say something stupid and people laugh, right? Okay, literally, that's the worst thing. Boom. But then you can think, well, then what do I do after that, right? What, 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 if that's the worst situation, what do I do? Well, I could try to crack a joke about it, or I could excuse myself and I can get some fresh air, right? Also, also, is there another way of looking at the situation? Everybody says something stupid once in a while, right? And then, you know, finally, you could say, well, yeah, you're not the only one who has said something stupid at a party. Everybody has said something stupid. I probably said a million stupid things in this. <laughs> Me too. I, I, I don't know. I couldn't even tell you how many. And, and, and look, we're the ones who are, are teaching this stuff. Like, we're not perfect either. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, it happens. I mean, after we end this call, I'm, you know, I might, I might think, uh, I hope I made enough sense, you know, and think, I, you know, and think that I didn't, but then realize, no, probably I did. You know, but you, know, you work with these thoughts, right? Um, and and that's sort of another way of doing that is, you know, you could say, what would you say to a friend who had that thought, right? That, you know, that I I shouldn't go to this party because I'm going to say something stupid. Well, it's not that you would say, you would say it's not the end of the world, right? Uh, we all say silly things and most, and most of the time people don't remember what you said. So say that to yourself. Why are you any different than your friend? Why don't you deserve the same response? I mean... You might have, you might feel like you're different, and that's why you got to kind of understand why you feel that way. But you don't, right? I mean, in other words, I mean, you're not, you're not different, right? The same advice that you would give to a friend always should apply to you, right? Generally, yeah. And right. we are not great at doing that, are we? You know, we we no. are not great at stepping into like a place where we can give ourselves advice as if we're giving our friend advice. But sometimes that's some of the best ways. Well, because we're so because we tend to be critical of ourselves, right? We tend to hold ourselves to high standards. We want to be perfect, right? Which brings me to my next question. Here's a good one. And I've talked about this a little bit, but maybe you have a better answer. Mm -hmm. Is I like one of the questions that you said here. You said, um, you said here that you said something about like asking a question of, well, what if I did something right? That wasn't. 
the way you phrased it, but it's like, well, what if I don't say something what's, embarrassing, right? And so right, um, I, right away that what's clicked the evidence my head. That does, What's the evidence that does not support, like looking into your past, right? What's the evidence that does not support this thought that, you know, uh, that I'll say something stupid at a party? Right. People don't automatically think that way, which is really is, if you're still right. watching this, I right. believe we're hitting a really important point here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is that people aren't trained to think that way. For whatever reason, I have some theories on this, but I want to hear your thoughts. I, I talked about this last week, but why do we go negative right away? Why don't we ever go into a situation? And I'll use this example. Why don't we ever go to a party and say, oh my God, what if I just kill it at this party and I'm making jokes and everyone's laughing and everyone loves me and girls are hanging all over me and I get a girl's number and, and I walk away feeling amazing. But we never say that to ourselves. We think, what if I go to this party, I say something stupid, embarrass myself, everyone laughs at me, and I walk home like a failure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why? So my question to you is, why do we automatically think negative and not positive? I want to hear your answer to that, trip because I have my own. You first. You first? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, in, short, in short, we're wired that way. We are wired as humans, actually, and as, as mammals, to look out for danger, right? That's what anxiety is. Anxiety, anxiety isn't bad, right? Anxiety is good. We need anxiety because it protects us, it protects us from harm, right? It's a signal, right? I don't, I, I, you know, I wouldn't tell anybody that uh, that they're feeling anxious is a bad feeling. No, it's not, and and and, and it's not even something that has to be changed. It has to be noticed so that you know what it means, so that you know what to do with it. Right, it's a slight tangent, but the point is that um, you know, so so we're wired to look out for something that might go wrong, right? Um, it, and it all goes down. It, it, all, it all goes down to like the mammal creature, right? You're afraid of uh, you know lions, tigers, and bears, right? Because they could kill you, right? But as you know, as humans have evolved. We have evolved a frontal part of our brain, right? Which is a thinking part of our brain, which actually thinks about itself. And it ends up having that, taking that natural instinct to a more haywire situation to where anything that might make you feel bad or make you feel like there's some bad thing could possibly, you know, trigger you, right? So, so you're, you're doing it to, it's a self preservation thing. It's an instinctual self-preservation thing. That's my exact answer. I mean, yeah. yes, we are wired with these uh, emotions and these physiological effects mm-hmm. in our body, like anxiety, right? Anxiety is mental and physical. We're wired with that to prevent us from dying, mm-hmm. basically. Prevent us from danger. It's a signal. So it's a signal, right. And so unfortunately... Well, fortunately and unfortunately, it's great that we have that, but they're not of much use to us in certain cultures. I would say probably across you know Western societies, it's not really a worry of ours to be eaten by a tiger or a lion or you know any kind of intense survival um, mechanisms. We we just it's not exactly needed. You know, a lot of us are just like in apartments and homes and. Things we can go to our jobs and we work and school and do what we got to do, and so the unfortunate part is it comes out in these situations where it's like not really needed. We don't need these 
um, anxieties and fears and, and intense emotions to go over and talk to some people. Because realistically, if you haven't ever done this before, nothing bad is going to actually happen except for just another emotion that we don't like, mm-hmm. like the feeling of embarrassment or more anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe potentially, you, you know, irrational thoughts like I might lose a friend or even deeper rational thoughts. Well, if I can't perform in front of a group of people or I can't approach a girl and talk to her, well, then I'll never be able to do it. And therefore, I'll never be able to have the things that I want. Again, more irrational fears. Right. So it serves a function, right? There, there's, a, there's a reason for it, right? We, right? we need to fit into society, right? right? It's, it, it's not good to be rejected, right? If you think, think about tribal times, right? When we lived in small tribes, if you were rejected, that's death, right? That's certain death, right? If you, if you, uh, you know, if the tribe rejects you and you're out on your own, if no one likes you, that's a problem, right? So we need to be liked, right? But do we need to be worrying about it every second? No, right? Not now, not in this society, right? Um, so, so it's there, it's there for a reason, but you know, to what extent, you know, does that fear? Uh, inhibit you in a way that's you know totally unhelpful, right? Um, one thing also, I just want to—you had a real like, this whole process or technique, we could say, of, of asking ourselves these questions. You called it working with your thoughts. I really like that, and I want anyone who's watching this for a second time, or if you're streaming this later on and you're not watching live right now, uh, that you go back and rewind and really. Uh, go through that whole process that we just did with the example of a person being embarrassed, someone potentially being embarrassed of saying something stupid at a party. I feel like we can, you can work with those exact same questions, but rephrase it in the way that is specific to your situation. Mm -hmm. And I think that really what this is kind of my way of summing up everything we've been talking about here is a complete awareness of everything that's going on, right? To the point of, well, why do I feel this way? Which we covered in the first half. And the second part of of the awareness of, these are my thoughts, because thoughts usually are the things that uh, breed fear and anxiety. And so being aware of your thoughts and working with your thoughts, as you said, mm-hmm. is really one of the first steps and probably the last in terms of being able to defeat the fear or anxiety of the thing that you want to do. Because you've got to almost uh, challenge yourself. And I feel like that's kind of what we're doing here is we're challenging our thoughts, challenging our ideas that might not be true, that are holding us back from the thing that we want. And uh, it's a funny little battle with me, myself, and I, you know, as we work through it. But the first step is this ultimate consciousness or awareness or presence, um, all synonymous with each other, but that the yeah. whole idea there. Would yeah. you agree with that or I, I, any no, thoughts on that? No, I would agree with that. And I, I and I also I like what you said about that being, you know, in a way the last step. It's the last step before, you know, inhibiting yourself behaviorally, right? In other words, um, you need sometimes it's, it's very in the moment, right? You need to be able to kind of learn how to work with your thoughts in the moment so that you can do the thing, right, that you're afraid of doing. Right, because if you're not, if you're just going with the thoughts the way that they're there, or if you're just going with that physical feeling, which feels really, really bad that you need, right? Then you're gonna you're gonna leave, right? Then you're gonna go, right? And you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to face the fear. So that's actually what brings me to my last sort of tip. I was gonna say is that so there's working with the thoughts. Then there's also 
And then earlier, we talked about working with sort of the emotion underneath. So right after the situation or before, you go home and you think about how you feel about it. It's very important, right? Um, but there's also the fact that anxiety is a physiological thing that's happening, right? Um, your heart rate is going up, uh, right? There's, there's, the hormones are changing, uh, you know, and, and that makes you feel in all kinds of ways that are very uncomfortable, right? And you don't like that feeling. You want that feeling to stop, right? So that's why people often, right, avoid after they get those feelings, they go away because that's the quickest way to make those feelings go away. But not if they need to do the thing. So there are ways of sort of physically working with yourself to bring down those anxious feelings, right? Um, and so one of them, one really quick sort of technique or tip that I have for that is doing a breathing exercise, right? If you do this really simple breathing exercise um, for 10 minutes a day or five minutes a day, or even just before a situation that you're going to go into that's making you anxious, you take five minutes or 10 minutes to do this, then you are going to physically make your body in a calm state that will then make it easier to, to do the thing because you're not so aroused, right? Um, and so that's as simple as, you know, sort of sitting upright, having a sort of good posture and breathing and counting your breaths and having a, a longer out-breath than is your in-breath. That's why I say counting it. So you would breathe in for a count of, say, four, and then breathe out for a count of six. That's something that physically regulates uh, you know, your, your neurological system um, to bring down uh, that anxiety. Um, so you, you breathe in, you count your breath, you focus on the number, whatever it is that you're thinking, just accept that thought as what it is, but then just sort of direct your attention back to whatever the breathing is, breath is, and whatever that's feeling like in your body. Right? If you do that for five minutes, no matter what, just about, um, you will feel better. You'll, yeah. you'll, you'll feel more calm. And so that's a way of kind of, you know, sort of lowering that arousal so that you can then deal with the task, right? Or deal with your thoughts. Because if you're up here, right? If you're way up here, then all you can do is run, right? Which is, going back to biology, that's the way your body is designed, right? Um, you, you know, your body is designed not to be thinking about, hmm, is this tiger gonna, is it coming closer to eat me? Does it, what is it thinking about it? It's like, shit, tiger, I gotta bounce now, right? And that's why you're, that's why what's happening in your body, it's, get, it's mobilizing you to protect yourself, right? But that happens in any situation that you're phobic of. So if we're talking about, you know, meeting girls, social phobia, spiders, it's the same thing. It's the fear response. I like that. And we could, and we, and we could bring it down with focusing on our thoughts and working with them as we are talking about before. And we could bring it down physiologically as well. That's fantastic. That's great. Uh, this has been great information. And I think we're at the point now where I can see people starting to ask questions. And there's over 100 people right now live with us. And I want to start taking their questions. So uh, first, just to wrap up on kind of what we talked about, um, this was really great information for anyone, again, who has social anxiety on the spectrum all the way from mild to severe and anyone who considers themselves shy. So I urge you, 
if you've watched this whole thing, that you try some of these things. You know, the best thing you can do is is try it out and see if it works. You know, you might be thinking like, oh, that's not going to work for me. Well, let, let's find out. Maybe it won't, but maybe it will, right? So we want to at least try these things and experiment with them and see for yourself the breathing exercises, the awareness and the certain questions we went over will help in terms of, you know, that one moment where you're scared to be social and, uh, and you know, push yourself to do that. So let's go to some questions. And I'm going to let them kind of flow through right now. So if you have any questions regarding what we talked about today, what we talked about was social anxiety or social fear or shyness or approach anxiety, anything regarding those topics we're going to answer. So you can go ahead and ask me all day, You know, what's the best line to uh, open up a conversation with or how do you attract women or, hey, Trip, there's this girl, et cetera, et cetera. We're not going to be answering those questions. You're going to be wasting your time. So we're only going to be going over uh, topical stuff. Again, social anxiety, social fear, shyness, and anything specific that we talked about today that you might have questions about that you want further clarification on. So mm-hmm. let's have those um, just kind of be rolling. We got some people here on Facebook, and I know we have a bunch of people here on YouTube. Like I said, over 100 people. So go ahead and start asking your questions, and uh, we'll have Dr. Brandon answer as well as myself. So I'm going to scroll back a little bit, see if there's any questions other than that. I'm going to let people uh, start asking right now. So let's see what we got. Uh, okay, Irvin Lopez says this. And if we answer this question, you can still take a stab at it, Brendan. Said, how could you calm down your mind whenever you're overthinking stuff like approaching somebody? Mm-hmm. How can you calm down your mind? Well, yeah. Like, I think we just answered the question yeah. of how can you calm down your body? So I think yeah. this is like the other question. Well, how can you calm mm-hmm. down your mind yeah. when you're overthinking stuff mm-hmm. like approaching somebody? So you could tell yourself, if, you, if you're, well, the first thing is noticing it, right? That's the first step is that, okay, if you're, if you're, if you catch yourself like, oh, my mind is going wild right now, totally uncalm. Okay. So you could tell yourself, let's bring it down. Let's breathe a little bit. Whatever those thoughts are, we're going to just drop them, right? Just let them go a little bit, right? Um, you know, just so that you can bring yourself down, you know, in terms of your, your arousal state. Um, thoughts are not facts, right? So if your mind is going wild, you can tell yourself, okay, thoughts are not facts. Just because I'm thinking something doesn't make it real, doesn't make it true like that talk mm-hmm. more about that well i mean you know just i mean we think things all the time and and as we were saying before we're often right anxious thoughts are there to sort of protect ourselves from some perceived danger right but again that's all it is it's a perceived danger right it's not necessarily real right for example right if i'm afraid that uh you know if i right if, oh this girl is gonna spit in my face if i walk over to her right Oh, well, you don't know that that's true, right? That's not, you thought that. It's actually likely that that's not going to happen, right? That's likely not going to happen. When's the last time that that happened to you? You know, I've right? never heard or, of that. I've never, you ever known that anybody that happened to? No, right? Exactly, exactly. So you could say, well, that's a that's a thought. That's not a fact, right? So just trying to sort of, you know, try to bring some logic into it a little bit. But you also don't want to be sitting there wrestling with yourself. Trying to have a conversation, right? Um, so you know, so a lot of it is just just dropping it, just dropping it. 
Save it for later. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. Here's another question. Uh, how do I live without caring what other people think? Is it the goal to live without caring what other people think? Uh, Ooh, you know? slam that right back at <laughs> Um, Maybe we need to care what other people think to some extent, right? Maybe sometimes it's important what other people think. I think the question really is more, um, how do I know when to care or how much to care about what other people think? You know? Um, and, you know, I think that just becomes about evaluating that a little bit further. Um, I would say that you need, to, you, need, you need to care what people think. Because if you don't, then you're going to be an animal in society, right? Uh, if, if you never thought about other people's feelings, it's important, right? Other people's thoughts. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think what this person is really asking... Okay, what are they really asking? This is what I think they're asking. I think that the real question is, how do I deal mm-hmm. with... Uh, it, okay, it's almost the same questions as we've been answering. Yeah, it's how like, do we deal with the... Fa- so, mm-hmm, good. No, 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 let's see if you can get it, if you know what I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do, I, how do I deal with the fact that I'm so concerned with, with what other people think? Actually, I think it's someone like, okay, our example mm-hmm. earlier was, what if I go to this party and I embarrass myself? Mm-hmm. Their problem is the same thing, is what right. if I do whatever I do and that person thinks negatively of me? Mm-hmm. That's what I think they're asking. How do I deal with the mm-hmm. possibility of people not liking me? Because mm-hmm. obviously... We totally like this is going with what you just said. Like, yeah, we would probably love to care what people think if we imagine that everyone is thinking great things about ourselves. We mm-hmm. wouldn't be asking that question mm-hmm. because we'd be, let's just say, the truth is that every single person is thinking wonderful things about us. That's not an issue. Mm-hmm. Right? But the issue that, that he's probably saying is, well, how do I deal with the fact that people might be thinking all these terrible things about me? Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, that's that, then of course, is a great question. And, it depends on how far you want to go with answering it. Um, you know, you could ask yourself back a lot of questions in response to that, and and try to try to kind of try to ask yourself, you know, well, why do I care how much they think about? Or does it does it matter? Right? Um, is it okay if you know what would happen if somebody doesn't like me? Right? Um, you know, is it possible, anyways? For literally every single person to like you, uh, and also should it be? Does that matter, right? And then, and maybe you, know, you might start to notice when you're asking yourself all those questions. You know, this other for me always what would come up is this very big question: is why is that so important to me? What? Why do I need? You know, why do I? Why do I feel like I need that? What's happened in my life? What relationships? Have happened in my life. What might be my experience with my parents or siblings or other people, you know, uh, that made me feel like I definitely need, you know, to be loved. Right. You know, which is mostly everybody. Which is mostly what it comes down to. I think that we all wish that everyone would think great things about us. Why? Because, yeah. like you said in the very beginning of this whole thing, is that we want to feel. Loved, yeah, yep, and and cared for, 
And where does that come from? Well, that comes yeah. from, not to take away the, the romance out of it, but yeah. it comes from survival. Because if yeah. we're not cared for and loved as an infant or a child, we will die. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Let me say this before I forget. The next time you ask yourself that question, you know, um, you know how, do I, how do I stop caring, right? <clears throat> Maybe say to yourself, it's okay that I care. You know, you know, sort of, because you care for a reason, and that's so. And whatever the reason is, it's valid. You have to accept the fact, maybe, that you care before you could really work with it and change it. Yeah, you know, on that level of being okay with caring about it. Because after the person asks, "How do I live without caring what other people think?" Well, mm-hmm. maybe what you're what you're saying is maybe it's not such a bad thing. And it's okay. What I'm saying is that it, you need to care what other people think because you, like everybody else, have a desire to be loved, right? A desire to be appreciated, right? Um, and that desire is okay. So maybe the desire has gone a little far and you kind of feel like it's everybody all the time in every moment and I need to do all these things in order to make that happen and that drives me nuts. Okay, fine, you know. But going back to the fact that, well, it's okay that I feel that way. Um, there's a reason for it. Figure out a little bit what that is and then let go of it. You know? I like that. That's good. Um, someone asked here regarding the 30-day challenge, uh, which I know, uh, Brandon, you don't know much about because you weren't here live with me last week. But someone said, so with your 30-day challenge, if I cut back some of the stuff you set out and increase them more and more as I get comfortable, would this have a similar effect? Um, it might, Cody, but if you're doing the 30-day challenge, and for those of you who know what that is, if you're doing the 30-day challenge, it's set exactly how it needs to be. So hopefully you can get to the point where you're doing 30 days in a row and doing the five tasks. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, then rewatch the, the first video because I talk about that towards the middle. Um, okay, here's a good question from Chris Morrissey. He said, hey, Dr. Brandon, do you have any practical tips for keeping myself accountable to do the tough things to beat anxiety? Thanks, man. Sure. Um, well, keeping yourself accountable, I guess it depends on you know what those tough things are exactly. But, uh, well, I think having a partner, having a person that's keeping you accountable, um, a friend, um, a therapist, right? Somebody that you're talking to about this, to check in on you, ask you how it's going, right? Um, writing it down, right? Having, have, you know, oh, are you frozen there or are we good? I think you froze a little bit. Uh, okay. Still good? Uh, yeah, no, we're good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just being organized with it, I'd say, right? Uh, uh, having your goals, you know, written down, having them you know, sort of actionable. And and small and and doable, right? Um, you got to think about you know, whatever your goals are. They have to they have to be they have to be doable. They have to be easy enough at the start. Yeah, that's good, and I think that's an easier way to keep yourself accountable. So mm-hmm. you're saying, you know, manageable. It's not just enough to just think about them. You should write it down, mm-hmm. write it on your phone or iPad or whatever. Have them sure. there. 
Um, sure. Make sure you're you're doing it. I mean, basically, we're talking about the SMART goals. If you guys want to learn more about that, you can just research that S M A R T, which is basically goals that you're talking about, Brandon, which are um, ones that are tangible and they're realistic and they're actionable, right? All the yeah. things that make it that make it achievable. You know, I also have another tip on top of that is if you have someone to help hold you accountable, what you can do is use the website called Stick. Dot com that's s t i c k k dot com and what that does is that helps you stick to the goal that you have and there's consequences for your actions if you don't stick with that goal mm-hmm. and that can be as much as donating um, money to a cause that you like or donating to a cause that you don't like right or doing something uh, mm-hmm. where it's going to make it more inevitable for you to be able to um, to accomplish that goal. And you'll have someone on the other end of it who makes sure that you will get the consequences if you don't achieve it. And it's a pretty powerful thing. Um, so mm-hmm. powerful that I know people just won't do it. You know, They, they won't yeah. even go to stick.com and, and go through with it because they, right. they're not even, uh, they don't even think they're going to be capable of, of, of accomplishing the goal because mm-hmm. they don't want that bad thing to happen. Yeah. So I mean, you know, Trip is really good with like the specific, you know, detailed kind of practical advices, uh, you know, for you know, for the day-to-day stuff. And that's great because that can help give you some ideas. But the, you know, what I would want to contribute to this conversation is you know, sort of echo- echoing these two aspects of practical things and then say this other thing about it, which is keeping yourself accountable through other people um, and through... Um, sure, I lost my train of thought. Through, uh, through other people and through setting your goals um, but also, you know what you need to do. You know, I mean, you know what you need to do. I, I don't, you know, it's good. It, sometimes, you know, you don't know about this or that website. But if you really kind of look inward, you kind of know. That's, that's, that's my belief. You know, but yeah. being able to talk to somebody about that can help. Yeah, it's true. I think most of the time we know the answer, yeah. but we look outward to either confirm what we already think, mm-hmm. or we, um, or we're trying to get more answers because we don't want to do. We're yeah. trying to avoid. Yeah, you know what I'm right. saying. Right. Like I know people who will probably watch a lot of videos on my channel, mm-hmm. who will just keep watching one more video to get more of the same answer because they're just avoiding knowing that they have to actually take action on the thing they need mm-hmm. to do. Right. So yeah. Um, right. So also then just saying again. So it's so it's so it's support and then starting small, starting small. Saying that there's something small that I have to do and I'm going to do it. Yeah, yeah, it's gratifying to to you know to to over and over you know try to hear the advice from somebody or try to learn about this new way and that new way. It kind of almost makes you feel like you've done it, right? Because you kind of get excited about it. Um, but nothing changes if you don't do it, right? So you have to go right to that. Here's another question. Hey, Doctor Brandon, how do you feel about people with severe social anxiety using benzodiazepines? Benzodiazepines like Xanax as a tool to get over the really tough situations. So that's a that's a really good question, um, and something that I somehow forgot to mention earlier in the you know the, the sort of the, the, the treatment options. Um, sometimes medication. Uh, first of all, I would say that you know in order a person should consult with their doctor um, and have an, and, and if, if you're concerned that. Your anxiety or depression is at a level to where you're curious about medication helping. 
you go and you consult with that with that person, and you have you have uh, them do an evaluation, you know, or refer you to somebody who can do that evaluation. Having said that, um, here are my personal opinions. Sometimes, sometimes it's important, and sometimes it's possibly even almost necessary to um, to involve medication in uh, helping with depression and anxiety. Here's why: um, if a person really can't just if they're if they're suffering from symptoms that are so debilitating that they really can't try these things, if they really can't even talk about right their their problems with somebody, if they can't even you know if they can't even just get involved in trying to help themselves, sometimes they need some medication to help relieve those symptoms to where they can do that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to specifically speak to benzodiazepines, that's an interesting one. Benzodiazepines are um, they're a short-acting medication to where uh, it, uh, they're a short-acting medication to where uh, it will it will physically make you feel not anxious. Right? It forces your body to not feel anxious, um, and then it's possible to maybe you know do the things that are making you anxious. But the problem is is, is that with that is that it doesn't it doesn't it's only a quick fix. Um, Sometimes a quick fix is necessary to get to the next level of doing the deeper work. If a person is really, really um, bogged down by symptoms, um, but get stuck, and they could possibly, you know, start to rely on that heavily and not do the work that they need to do, and ultimately never really heal. Right. So sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it's maybe over overused. But probably at the end of the day, for them to know for sure, they should see a psychologist, get into therapy, and figure it out. Well, if it's if it's about medication, you should see a psychiatrist. <clears throat> psychiatrist, okay. I mean, a psychologist can refer you to a psychiatrist. You can talk to either one about medication, but you'll only be able to be prescribed medication by a a physician, a medical doctor. A psychiatrist is a medical doctor who specializes in prescribing medication for mental health disorders. Because as I mentioned before, this is a biological, these are biological problems. They, they have some roots in biology. And what is amazing about medicine is that we can take medicine to change our biology. Um, but also psychological problems are sort of a problem of behaviors and feelings about yourself. So that's not always so quickly fixed with a pill. Cool. Good, yeah. good. Here's another question. And we'll have to dissect this a little bit. Um, okay. It says, hey, Trip, Ty here. I wonder how validation, neediness, and scarcity mindset is related to social anxiety. Um, so, Brandon, I don't know. If, I know that there's a lot there with those three different things, validation, neediness, mm-hmm. and scarcity mindset. Maybe, maybe it is all related, or maybe you want to tackle one of those. Um, I can imagine validation is probably huge related to social anxiety, uh, maybe even neediness, and maybe even scarcity mindset. So I'll let you kind of tackle that question however you... However so you so, so how, how are these three things related to social anxiety? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, starting with validation, um, it's, it's, you know, it, it goes back to kind of what I was talking about is, well, what's the wish, right? What is it that we want from others, right? Um, for many people, it, you know, it, I mean, it is validation, right? Um, and so 
The, uh, when you maybe actually, if people don't know what that means, will you just explain oh, yeah. what, what so, validation is? Uh, you know, somebody somebody uh, uh, responding to you in a way that is affirming, right? Responding to you in a way that is, you know, accepting you as okay for who you are, right? Um, and those are that's a normal thing to want. Um, so, so the way that that, that, that just ties into social anxiety is that you might have a wish for validation, but you might have a fear that that's not going to happen, right? You might have, you're, you're going to have a fear that you're going to get the opposite, right? You'll be rejected. You'll be told that you're stupid. You'll be criticized, right? Um, and then you avoid, right? So validation is the wish. Um, and, uh, uh, but it's, it's, it's a normal one. The question is going to be, is you know, to what extent do you need that from others? Um, to what extent can you bring that to yourself um, through your own, your own methods, your own ways, your own thoughts about yourself? Um, and, um, and also, to what extent can you allow yourself into situations that can bring you that validation? Right? If, you're so, if you're afraid that you're going to be rejected, then um, you're not going to get that validation. Uh, neediness, I, you know, I think um, it's a, it's. I think it's a it's a similar word for for a similar thing, right? It's it's a wish for attention, right? I mean, I guess neediness means you know sort of a too too strong of a wish for attention, too much of a wish for attention, but um, but acknowledging what that wish is is very important, right? Acknowledging that you want to be validated, you. Uh, you you have you you have needs of other from other people, right? Um, and the question is, what are those needs, right? And do you think that it's reasonable to um, to to have those, right? Some needs are reasonable. The question is is also you know do you feel though that because you have needs that then you'll you know that you'll be rejected for that, right? Kind of going back to the idea of shame, right? Um, if you have experiences when you're a child to where your needs are not met, right? Then, right, and 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 they're when you're asking for something that you need and that's met with, you know, some kind of rejection of oh well, you know, what are you doing or 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 just or just not caring, right? Being ignored, um, then you are gonna have conflict around around validation, right? You'll wish for it, but you'll be afraid of getting it because. You think that you'll think that what's going to happen is is what truly did happen when you were a kid. The problem is, is that's a projection. The problem is, is that that's something that you're imagining another person is going to do, but it's not necessarily true. Not necessarily true. That's like the huge thing here that I keep on. Yeah, that we keep going back to, and you keep going yeah. back to is like challenging yourself. Like this is not the thoughts that you think in your head are not necessarily going to happen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I also uh, mindset. I don't really know what that means, but <laughs> okay, that's something different. We don't have to tackle that right yeah, now. But yeah. Those were great answers. Okay. Um, I'll let anyone else write some more questions in. Um, but as you guys ask some more questions, if there's any more, we'll get to them. But I kind of want to wrap up here, and I want to I want to say, um, Dr. Brandon, you know, for those who are still watching this, I always like to say this: What's the first thing they can do right now? So you know, there's a lot of information here. Yeah. Maybe they took a lot of notes. Yeah. Um, you know, let's give these guys one to two max 
action steps that they can do mm-hmm. now that they've watched this video? What are some things that they can do the second that this uh, that this video is done? Well, I guess the first the first thing that I have to say is because I'm sort of brought on here to talk about you know social anxiety disorder, right? Social phobia as in you know something that's very impairing in your life. If you listen to to this talk and particularly the first part where I talked about you know kind of what social anxiety really is, and you had this feeling like that describes you, then make make a commitment to you know to whether or not. Well, I guess this is. To, but I would say, think about whether or not therapy would be something that you're willing to go for. I would say, you know, I would say seriously consider it. Um, if you feel like this describes you, then think about if you're willing to get help, and if you are, to um, to to find out how to how to get that. Um, if you are on the spectrum that you are feeling like this describes you, kind of, but not all the time. You could live with your life. You're okay. You're not debilitated, but man, it's just really tough to. It's really tough to put myself out there to people. Um, then I would say, also to consider going to therapy. <laughs> I can't help plugging for it. Um, no, that's okay. I mean, I know, mean, so yeah, I mean, that's one great thing to do is consider therapy either way. Yeah, um, but 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 think about this. At the end of the day, what you need to do is you need to face your fear. So the question is, is how are you going to get there? What, how close are you to facing that fear? Right? Can you, can you, can you make, you know, can you make a decision to try something that you've not tried yet? Can you do, can you do something new? If you can think about what that new thing is for you. Yeah, I can't, I like I can't give too specific of a prescription. It's just not in me, you know? It, it, you know, a person has to find it for themselves, you know, but think about if the problem is, is that you're avoiding, then you need action. So how are you going to get yourself to action? Are you going to enlist some help? Uh, are you going to make a plan? I think you can make your own plan. Also, Trip has so many, uh, you know, so many examples. I guess I'm bringing it back to you. Is it, I mean, you teach you teach how to get started, don't you? Yeah, I'd yeah. say if you're, you know, in this case, if you have some sort of mild social anxiety or anxiety in general around meeting women, uh, then your first step is going to be something really small to get yourself in front of more people. So, actionable items. You don't have to do all these. They could be um, doing trips, thirty day challenge. I'd say that's probably one of my bigger tips here. Um, it would be going to meetup groups uh, and finding anywhere where there's people around where you can get yourself to take that one first step to being more social. That could even mean going to a bar, not even talking to anybody, and just walking around. I know this sounds crazy. This sounds very like uh, weird to do. But again, we're giving you small steps to get over stuff. And if nothing's worked so far, then it's probably not a bad idea. But yeah. doing something like that, uh, exposing yeah. yourself to people, exposing yourself to the thing that that scares you, mm-hmm. um, and in this case, doing it a uh, small step at a time. Yeah. So I'd say kind of piggybacking off of what you're saying, mm-hmm. Brandon, yeah. Is, yeah. is yeah, figure out what is it, what is that fear, what's the thing, and figure out how you can hold yourself accountable to it. And mm-hmm. then from what I said, figuring out what is that next step, because it can be different for everyone, mm-hmm. but that next step to getting closer to uh, conquering that social anxiety. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm gonna I'm gonna say one more thing that kind of I would say even goes a little bit before that, which is even just right now, you can do this right now, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about what can I do, I would say tell yourself it's okay. It's okay to feel whatever whatever you're feeling. It means something, right? It means something. And that's real. And you can't, you know, and, and we always want to kind of, I, I just realized I got, I got caught up in it too, right? I got caught up in trying to, you know, give a tip, give an explanation, you know, do something. What can we do? What can we do? But before you do anything, you need to kind of step back and see what's there and just allow yourself to be with it. And, you know, if you, if you, you know, if you have feelings and thoughts that come to your head about, you know, about being critical, well, just accept that for a minute. You know, accept that this is how you've been. This is what's happened, but it doesn't have to be who you are and how you will be in the future. You know. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah. awesome. And finding ways, and, and that's why, and that's why the support aspect is important. You know. Finding ways to where somebody else can help you with that acceptance. I mean, I could give you that instruction right now and say, accept it. And that's very hard to do, you know. Yeah. So trying to get those experiences where where you have that, and you know, a really good place to start is is uh, in a relationship with a therapist. I love it. So I want to conclude here now, and I want to say thank you very much for being here, and. And dishing out all your knowledge as uh, as a therapist and a doctor in this field. So thank you for taking your time. And I want everyone else who is still watching. We have uh, almost a hundred people still watching to uh, to say thank you to uh, Dr. Brandon for being here. So I want to see a lot of thank yous from everyone who is still here. I think it'd be nice for for him to to see that or hear it because you can't see the chat. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and I thank Feeling you too. It. Feeling it. And, yeah, exactly. And I'm I, happy I, to I, help. I'm happy to talk about this. I love this stuff. Yeah, good, good. Yeah. And uh, so everyone say thank you. Um, and if you have any more questions, maybe we can attack them next week. So I'm doing this for the next eight weeks now at this point. We're talking about the fearless formula. So I'll be back here next week, same time, 4 p.m. Tuesday. That's 4 p.m. Pacific, which is 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern. So lots of thank yous. Thank you. Thanks. Curtis says thanks. Blake says thank you. Danny says he helped. Berman says, I just missed the show. Well, it's too bad. <laughs> Jose says good stuff. Tommy says thank you. Um, awesome. Good stuff here. So thank you guys. Dr. Brandon, thank you. I'm going to go ahead and end it here. Lots of good information. Do those action steps. Watching this is not enough. So either you're doing Trips 30 Day Challenge or you're doing one of the action steps that we talked about. Yes. I'm pointing my fingers at you. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Brandon. You're welcome. Bye.